This book contains frank discussions of sex. If you are not an adult, do not listen to this episode. Go listen to one of our many other episodes that will be more age appropriate. Yeah. And uh, work is very R-rated, as it will explicitly say it on the cover. Like, it's, yes. there's no problem. <laughs> For mature readers, duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, not duh. You, sometimes you can, you can be misled yeah. or just not think things through. Well, I mean, it is a comic book, and comic books are for kids. Oh, yeah. Well, bang, wow. <laughs> That's not even the thing, is it? It's bang, pow. Whiz, whiz, bang, pow. Yeah. <laughs> Comics are not for kids anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the At least this one isn't. <laughs> yeah. So here we are, another Trade Waiters. So this episode, we are going to talk about Sex Criminals, Trade Paperback 1 and 2, written by Matt Fraction with art by Chip Zdarsky. So we always start with our character building question. So obviously with the nature of this work... uh, (laughs) No, no. uh, (laughs) The TMI edition. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. This is. I was going to ask you guys, uh, what song can you not help yourself but sing along to? Oh, what a wholesome question. <laughs> Related That's to- a very, very, um, a very kind character building question to give us. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a moment where I was like, I could get really explicit here, but I was like, no, no one wants to answer that question. So I'm just going to ask about songs. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's a now I got to think of an answer though. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll go. Uh, yeah, so uh, one of my quirks is that I have a really excellent memory for songs. So if I can clearly hear the lyrics after about two to three times, I've memorized a song forever. Wow! Or like the rest of my life. <laughs> so there's actually not too many songs that I won't sing along to at this point. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's almost involuntary. It's very, very hard to not be singing along to something if I'm listening to it. Uh, I've had to obviously learn while listening to music at work to not do it. But if I'm at <laughs> home, I will be absentmindedly singing to, along to almost anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. I envy you that talent. I like... It's, it's not very useful. I will say that. I'd much rather have photographic memory than photographic memory. It, it has not served me well, I will I say. Think, I think I'm more I'm more in the category of people who will like start to sing along and then everyone's like, wait, what are you saying? And you're like, wait, is that not what the chorus is? And they're like, no, that's not what they're saying in the chorus. And like, oh. This is a, a, a deep tour, but I listened to a podcast recently that was about the, oh, what was it even called? This was in like the 80s when there was a like... Uh, meetings in congress about like oh we have to like put rating labels on music blah 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 and turns out there have been studies that have been done because like people were worried about like reverse lyrics when you play a song backwards and whatever being satanic or something turns out there have been studies that show that not only does that not work 
uh, you can, your brain cannot internalize a song heard backwards, but <laughs> most people are not even good at remembering the lyrics to the songs forwards. Like they don't actually know the lyrics and can't repeat them back to you. So clearly it's not going to work backwards either. Not, not to mention that I feel like as a, you know, rich and famous rock band, I think the worst possible move you can make is to cause your audience to uh, sacrifice themselves uh, to the devil. It's really bad for your body. buy your albums. Yeah, you have no audience left. Like, <laughs> Anyways, I haven't, like, okay, so this is going to be a really nerdy answer to the question. Uh, but there, when I lived in Taiwan many, many years ago, uh, I took it upon myself to, like, I was actively trying to get better at Chinese. And so I bought some CDs and uh, I, there were a couple songs where I, like, sat down and translated them out so I could make sure to learn the, the lyrics so that I'm like practicing and I can still sing along to a couple of songs if I listen to them. So if, and I still have these songs on my iTunes somewhere. So in the rare occasions when they ever come up, I still have to sing along to I would sing Ji Show. Oh, that's very cute. <laughs> oh, wow. Man, I, yeah, uh, that's, I think those are both good answers. Uh, I'm just, I've, then again, uh, as I mentioned last episode, just regressing back in time to the '90s uh, as like a safe place where I can exist uh, in this time without time. And uh, so I, I've just been listening to a lot of, I guess now you would say dad rock, which is you know, <laughs> three, three uh, days, we're there, oldies, <laughs> yeah, those oldies. those classic yeah. hits of the 1990s. And so, yeah, I mean. You put on uh, Nirvana Unplugged and you get into Man Who Sold the World. And I just, I'm always singing along to Man Who Sold the World. Definitive, definitive cover version. Very nice. <laughs> I'm the same way though, 100%. Like during this pandemic, I'm like, new music, y- y'all, y'all can miss me. Like I just need the things I listen to in high school right now. On yeah. repeat. That's, that's- <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, so uh, we should talk about this book. What What's this book again? Uh, so this book is called Sex Criminals, and it is written by Matt Fraction and drawn by Chip Zdarsky. Some interesting factoids about uh, our two creators is uh, they both are using nom de plumes. Oh. Uh, so Matt Fraction is not his real name and Chip, Chip Zdarsky surprisingly is not his real name. Uh, they are both born in 1975, which may also be why I was really resonating a lot with <laughs> uh, a lot of the references in these books. Matt Fraction is an Eisner award-winning American comic book writer uh, known for his work on Invincible Iron Man, Immortal Iron Fist, Uncanny X-Men, um, probably most famously Hawkeye and as well as uh, Sex Criminals for Image Comics. And then Chip Zdarsky used to be a illustrator for uh, newspapers. He's a Canadian artist. Hmm. Pause for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had, dude. Uh, yeah, Canadian cartoonist. Um, and uh, he used to work for the National Post. And he's uh, went on to sort of do a lot of independent comics and now he's currently doing a lot of writing at Marvel. So he's sort of shifted from drawing a lot of comics to writing a lot of comics. I think currently doing 
uh, Daredevil and Spectacular Spider-Man. And I just learned recently that he does the graphic design on the book covers for Marvel for all the books he writes, which is I oh, think cool. interesting additional job to take on. Um, yeah, so those are our creators. And I guess it's my job to summarize this work. So uh, Sex Criminals is about people who have discovered when they have an orgasm they that time freezes and they can interact with the world uh, while the rest of the world is frozen until they are ready to have sex again and then time restarts. And so it's about uh, John and Susie who meet each other and discover they used to think they were the only people with this power and then they find out that they both have this power and Susie's library is getting foreclosed on by the bank so they decide to rob the bank while time is frozen but things get complicated because otherwise there wouldn't be two volumes plus of this book <laughs> yeah we can get into details but yeah i think that's kind of the short short summary uh i sort of like while rereading this i was like wow i forgot how explicit this book is <laughs> so apologies in advance if i <laughs> took you to places you didn't want to be but um yeah what did you think of this work <laughs> uh i guess i'll go first so this is a book that i have had i have read in the past so this was a, a reread for me uh i picked it up because it was getting quite a bit of buzz a couple of years ago when it was initially coming out and i think the premise of it is really really interesting the premise of like you can stop time when you have sex is like really interesting and really a lot to explore there. Uh, and I think in the end, I got through two volumes. And at the original time that I read it, I was like, this is as much as I need to read. <laughs> I feel like I'm just like not the target for this work. Mm. Maybe I'm not sure something about it just missed me. But for no reason, that's a fault of its own. I think it was a fun book. I think it was really well put together. I think all of the component parts work. They just don't come together for me. Kind of like, you know, falling in love with someone. You know, it's very individual taste. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I this is the first time I've read these books. Uh, this is probably not something I would have picked up on my own. They're fine. Uh, I, I feel like they're not for me as well. Um, <laughs> and I spent some time thinking about, like, why why are these books not for me? Because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with these books. I think they're very well made. Like the, the places that they've taken this premise are really interesting. And I feel like uh, the thing that kind of loses me is the same thing that can often lose me with some autobio work where it's just very personal. And like, I know this is a fictional story. These are fictional characters. We have no way of knowing if any of the things that happen in this story are real experiences that the creators have had or if they're entirely fabricated, but as a reader who doesn't know the creators, it feels very personal. And like, it feels like, um, like TMI, like this is more <laughs> information than I want to know about these people, whether they are fictional or not. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. And uh, also for me, like I was also trying to reflect on it because again, like I'm like on paper, all of this works like I can't find a specific fault 
with the work. And so I was also kind of trying to self-examine of like, why did this one miss me? And I, I came to a similar conclusion. The conclusion that I came to is that it spent too much time on the characters hmm. and not enough time mining a very interesting premise. I feel like I was more interested in the sex police than the two central characters. And I'm like, explain to me the implications of this world and like, who else can do this? And like, how has this changed society? Like, I'm far more interested in that than I am in the the main character's childhood trauma or whatever. Is, mm. Is, uh... Interesting. Like, I feel like I could easily imagine someone that the that some other reader who's not me would read this and that sort of personal experience of the characters would be the thing that they're interested in. Because I think it's really well written. Like, it feels very authentic. But it's just also really traumatic for both of the characters or for all the characters that we like the more we learn about these characters the more it's like whoa that's that's a lot uh, <laughs> so I don't know I mean I, I I just have to come back to that maybe this isn't the story for me because like I like there were things that I was worried about like as soon as I knew the premise and it never went there like it explicitly tiptoed around any of the things that I was worried might happen and instead, it was just like a really well done story that was a bunch of stuff that I'm not sure uh, I needed. <laughs> I'm coming down really hard on this book, and I, I don't mean to because, like, I do think there's a lot that's good about it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting hearing this though because, like, I think that maybe this cuts a little bit to sort of the differences in what we look for in our stories because, like. I think for me, like, when I first heard the premise of just like, oh, it's like people who freeze time when they have sex, you're just like, what? Like, oh, this is like sort of just going to be like a fart joke kind of book or something. And then I was actually really surprised at how in-depth it got with the characters, like really kind of taking you to these places, which like for me, that's sort of something I'm always interested in. Like, I really felt like, both characters both Susie and John talking about their adolescence I was like oh man like I've felt aspects of this like maybe not to these extreme levels but it just it felt very like authentic I've like I've felt that awkward and uncomfortable and like I've had those like awkward encounters with people and just like to me I really appreciated like the depth of it and I think that's kind of like what kind of kept me hooked i think if it was just about like freezing time every time you have sex i might have i don't know like lost interest though i will say because i looked it up i i i i'm not convinced that this is like a five volume of content situation um and they definitely like i mean so in my summary i didn't talk about the sex police but yeah so what foils the bank robbery is there are apparently sex police and I wanted to know more about the sex police. The more I learned about the sex police, the more interesting they became. And I was disappointed because I, I, re I had read volume one previously. This is what encouraged me to finish volume two. And I was disappointed that at the end of volume two, you still don't really have like a resolution on the sex police. You're just like, oh, well, there's going to be another confrontation. But like, yeah, you still know very little about who they are. Though I did appreciate the, I think it's like Susie has this vision of this giant like space sex headquarters with like 
hover ships. And then when they actually do get into conflict with the sex police, they like drag them into one of their minivans. And then when they actually break into the sex police headquarters, it's just like someone's sex dungeon and hidden away in their basement of their suburban house. Like, and I did enjoy how kind of like underwhelming the sex police were <laughs> so far. Like, you know, um, and, and there's sort of implications that they are just three people who've decided to be sex police and that they're not mandated from any higher power than that. Um, <laughs> which I kind of also enjoyed this idea that three people with the same power as Susie and John were just like, yeah, we're just going to govern this because we've decided. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of get their motive. It kind of hints at it a little bit that they they don't want the rest of the world finding out what they can do. So they've decided they're going to police everyone else who has this power. Somehow they figured out that this is not a, uh, an uncommon thing, that there are other people who have this. And they've decided we're going to make sure that we police all these people so that no one finds us out. But it's still, yeah, I really enjoyed that it's not like a huge conspiracy going back for hundreds of years. It's just like, no, it's three, three people from the suburbs who have jobs and like this is what they do in their spare time. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is where it's like, it feels like a missed opportunity to me. Because it's like, <laughs> as you talk about sex and like how everyone has this deeply personal relationship with their own sexuality and everyone feels super weird, kind of like you were what you were speaking to Jeff is like everyone had an awkward kind of period where it's like is this is this what I'm into like how how does this work but this discovery that even being able to freeze time when you orgasm is not actually that uncommon as it turns out it's like that that could have been a really interesting metaphor that could have been an interesting like exploration into uh it could have gone into some some more depth and more nuance in a broad way and I think the specificity just uh yeah it lost me but if if it resonated with like some person like you but Jeff specifically, then like great. Like I'm glad because I agree. I think yeah, the very personal aspect to the work, uh, it was interesting, and it just yeah, it's like when it's personal, it's personal. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to really judge the the whole sex police uh, part of it because I feel like only reading two volumes that's like i'm not sure where it's headed like it feels like they're built up as this like scary conspiracy and then they're like torn down to just like three random people but i mean it's still a pretty scary superpower so i could see it going in another direction from there uh like when if they're actually like out if our main characters and the sex police decide that they're at war with each other like what's that going to mean Mm. I'm not sure how that works as a metaphor for anything to do with sex. <laughs> I mean, I haven't read it or uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like I've not read further than the first two volumes. So I wish I had more insights into like whether it sort of pays itself off at the end. But I, I think for me, like I was just really, I see, I, again, like I feel like for me, I really just got sucked into the, the storytelling of um, sort of this first person, like the the main characters turn and talk directly to the audience. And it's like, they're almost like confessing to you. Mm. Um, and I think that's a way of, I know, bringing you in on board with them and kind of gaining their, you know, kind of gaining sympathy from the audience. And 
you sort of you, they parcel things out and you sort of learn things as it progresses. I sort of found myself uh, less sympathetic towards John and more sympathetic towards Susie by the end. It's also, I mean, I think the other thing that I really enjoyed that came up in volume two, though, is like they really get into John's uh, mental health problems. And I, I appreciated uh, that they start to look at him going to a therapist and they try to sort of, uh, I mean, the thing initially was sort of played off a little bit for laughs with the first therapist, but the second therapist, I thought it felt like a much more genuine sort of attempt to like look at therapy as a means of like helping someone with mental health problems. And yeah, I don't know. I guess like, I, I sort of feel like I appreciated that this book was trying to be like, uh, therapist positive and somewhat somewhat sex positive um though like i i don't know so i maybe something i'd be interested to get responses from you guys on is like i did notice that even though the whole a premise of this is like when you have sex or when you have an orgasm time freezes and so there's a lot of sexual content but they also use this for humor purposes so there's all these like parody porn covers and it's these ridiculous movies that no one would ever really make or enjoy watching and when they're in the sex toy store they have these just like crazy over the top like like a pair of breasts as like eyeglasses or something like these just ridiculous sex toys that like don't really make a lot of sense and it's sort of almost like like I felt like it was it was funny but I also felt like it was almost like they were afraid to genuinely depict actual sort of like sex toys or actual pornography so it was more just like this weird parody of sex toys and pornography sort of played for laughs i agree with that it definitely rang closer to r-rated comedy than erotica i did not find this comic particularly erotic i've definitely read sexier comics (laughs) yeah and and i feel um, like that um i kind of i'm kind of glad it wasn't that because uh, I was hoping it wouldn't be just like its own porn, basically. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, that's it's. There's a lot going on in the book too. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I think I, I am also kind of glad it would have been a little bit awkward, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm. I, I've read erotic comics that were very heavy and interesting on plot. Like, yes, Roya is maybe a really good example of that. Guess where I is an Iron Circus R-rated comic, which is about a dominatrix, I guess, mm. is the, the easiest way to uh, summarize that one. And that one is a comic that is explicitly erotica. It is intended to be erotica, but it has a really layered and interesting plot on top of the erotica. And it does mm. manage to do that without feeling awkward. So I know it can be done, but that wasn't the objective of sex criminals, I don't think. Yeah, I feel like the the amount of trauma the characters have been through in this book would kind of not fit with uh, a book that was meant to be erotic. Like, not necessarily. I disagree with that. Okay. I disagree with that. But it's also like you, you can't do everything in a work. Sure. So yeah. it's like you have to decide what you're trying to do and and do it well and... Yeah, I think R-rated comedy with like an underpinning of trauma is probably what this work was going for mm-hmm. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think you make a good point, which is that, yeah, maybe like it was beneficial to sort of have that layer of parody for their intent because if it was too real, it, yeah, it would maybe, it, the it, you would lose the humor and it would maybe just, maybe, yeah, it would it feel like it's getting maybe a little too intense potentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the premise is not a, se a super serious premise. Right. So at that point, you've kind of opened the door to there being a certain amount of comedy yeah. Uh, I I do think it I, I don't think it would have been better with more comedy though, because that's that's what I was worried about when I heard the premise and started reading it is like oh this is going to be like a, a movie from the nineties and like <laughs> it's going to be like a, a lack of consent and because like you have this power over other people and like it didn't it didn't ever go there and I'm glad yeah I would, I would say that too I think it it struck a good note uh, between comedy and sincerity for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, they kind of address that in uh, one of John's flashbacks where there was the girl he has a crush on and so he freezes time and he goes over uh, with his camera and it's a little bit, you're like, oh God, what are you going to do? And then it's like, he sort of is like, oh God, what am I doing? Like, what kind of person am I? <laughs> like, Which like in quote unquote <laughs> real life, like that's a believable response to realize like, oh wait, this this is really not okay. Like, let's yeah. just not do that. Especially yeah. as a horny teen. I think that's yeah. very believable as a thought process. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, I know I, and I appreciated how he segued from that into, he's like, then I just, I started just freezing time and just looking at life and looking at human moments between people. And, and I, I enjoyed that montage of all the photos he took. And then the, the sad part is that apparently when you're in the quiet film doesn't, I don't know, work properly. So then all of his photos got lost, which was like... That was a very believable teenage <laughs> moment, even though that's like not a realistic thing to like spend months and months doing the photography for the, the, the yearbook only to at the end realize, oh, I messed it all up. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. Oh, the lens <laughs> like, oh, well, <laughs> can't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Someone else fix it and no one does. Yeah. So... What did you guys think of the art? Because I originally sort of was interested in this because I really knew Chip Zdarsky from his writing. And this was my first time seeing his art. And I really think uh, he did a great job in executing on uh, some complicated scenes. Uh, I agree with that. I thought the art was quite strong in this book. I liked the color choices. I also really liked the way that the quiet was depicted. And in the back of the book, there's a little kind of breakdown of how he layered up the Photoshop for the quiet, which is a little bit inside baseball, but I mean, was interesting to me personally yeah, as an no, artist. No. I really liked it. I read that part too. No, no. Yeah, was... yeah. So I thought that was, it was really nice. Like when they were in the quiet, it was really distinct. It was really obvious, but it didn't feel too distracting visually. Mm. So yeah, I think you could that still was, tell what was going on. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I mean, I also just thought there were some really interesting sequences. Like when John and Susie meet at the party, there's this giant page of just John and Susie walking through the room uh, while having this conversation and just like I think like you know I don't know if that was something that Matt Fraction had in the script or if that's just 
Chip Zdarsky thought, I don't want to have a bunch of talking heads. Um, but I just, I, some of those layouts I thought were just really fun. Like there was just these really interesting decisions made where I think, I don't know, a lesser, a lesser cartoonist might've just done a lot of talking heads or a lot of just straightforward depictions. And I felt like there were a lot of just creative layouts and just, there was a lot of humor in the backgrounds. I don't know, maybe for me just reading it a second time, I was paying attention to all the billboards and the signs in the background but like there were so many extra jokes like packed in on like if you read every spine on every dvd in the in the porn shop it was like there was a joke in each each little tiny like element of the art so i i know i thought that was like pretty great i think the character designs were pretty good like they felt like very real characters yeah, I think that's also like another positive is it's not your it wasn't a like image house style mm. uh, of like everyone has the same body type. It was, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, like different sizes and shapes of people, which I thought was pretty cool, too. Yeah. And no, at no point was I ever having any trouble telling who was who. Uh, did the therapist strike you as like a Zdarsky self-insert? <laughs> I did not think of that, but that would make sense. I, you know, yeah, now that I think about the beard and the haircut, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I was uh, enjoying the reading. I also, I kind of enjoyed the sort of, uh, I think it was in the middle of volume two, they did this sort of, you go through this other woman's story and it turns out she's the porn star that john's been obsessed with since he was a teenager and i like the sort of i don't know fleshing out and giving like a real human story to jasmine saint cocaine the like famed porn porn star turned um university professor i appreciated that as well i, I there's a throwaway line where Susie alludes to the fact that jasmine saint cocaine was probably abused Mm. And at the moment, like, I thought it was a kind of like, oh, wow, like, really punching down kind of line, even though it was interrupted in the moment by another character to be like, hey, don't assume that. Mm. It's like, it, it was a little bit awkward. So I, I still don't like that that's the tack that they took at that moment. But I did appreciate that there was more depth and nuance. And I did like that it was threaded back into volume two. I, so I liked that aspect. Yeah, it was sort of like, I don't know, I felt like that was, uh, considering considering the subject matter, I like that they sort of took some time to sort of say, yeah, like, the people that star in these films are people too, and they have these rich stories, and it's probably not the story you're expecting. Which, I, yeah, I mean, I think she sort of, I think out of all the different sort of flashbacks, I think seemed to sort of be one of the less, least, least traumatized of all the character flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know there was uh I, I just sort of enjoyed the experimental nature of some of the different chapters um mm. uh, i feel like there were times where it got too experimental and i kind of had trouble telling what was real like there were a couple of points where like something happens and i mean it's a weird story to start with so like you have to expect there to be weird things that happen uh and then Turns out like, oh, wait a minute, that was that was just like a metaphor or something. And then uh, it's that's not actually what happened. So, I mean, they're they're kind of trying to find the the edges of what's possible in storytelling, which is cool. But I'm not sure 
they were successful at every point. Mm. I would agree with that. I would agree that it is—it feels like a work that is setting out to explore the edges in a lot of ways. Mm. Like it is kind of exploring the edges of like how R-rated can we be and like get away with it and like and still be sincere and like what are the edges of what is okay to talk about I think is is kind of being explored in this work so it is also trying to narratively bend the rules in a way that's interesting yeah and of those three they, they failed at the one that would have bothered me the least so that's fine <laughs> in, in terms of like bizarre narrative choices um one chapter that always sticks out to me is when they're at the bar and this is where i got my question from was fat bottom girl starts playing and then mm. Susie does a full rendition of fat bottom girls <laughs> and in the background all the bar patrons start participating and then lights turn on and it becomes this whole musical number but then during the entire rendition, there are these yellow post-it notes covering up the speech balloons and it's Matt Fraction apologizing for the fact that he couldn't get the rights to Fat Bottom Girls and they couldn't actually use this. So then they had to put these post-it notes in to cover up the the lyrics. And I don't know, it's, it's completely off the wall. It really doesn't, it could be eliminated from this work and not affect the plot. But for some reason, like I before i went back to reread this i was like yeah with the fat bottom girls like post-it note joke like that uh, yeah. i really remember that and i don't know i did that resonate with you guys i don't know i don't know why i really got into that but i love that scene uh for me i felt like it went on about a page too long if it was <laughs> a gag on purpose mm, so it's like fair. if it if it was actually like a fat bottom girls montage and that was what they were going for and if you take it as like, okay, imagine this was proper, then I'm like, it still went on a bit, a page too long for me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Considering I mean, it, that didn't thread back. Right. And it's like, okay. I will say that's like, it's, it seems like Chip and Matt are having a really good time. <laughs> yeah. I know, like with all yeah. sincerity, like yeah. this, this book feels like they set out to do a collab that like really vibes with both of their interests. And that joy definitely comes through in the work. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the post-it note thing. Uh, I think jam, you're right. It went longer than it needed to, but I didn't mind that it was there. And maybe it's just because I make comics and I've thought about like, Oh, I would love to put like some lyrics in this. And then, Oh, I know that I probably can't cause like, getting rights to music lyrics is literally the hardest thing in the world. Um, so like as someone who makes comics, I appreciated that. I'm not sure how it would read to someone who doesn't know anything about the acquisition of rights for your own work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to speak for a moment on the writing of Susie in particular and I want to like mention what has kind of become a pet peeve for me in writing women. I think overall, Susie is a really well-written character. I think she's got a lot of dimensionality, a lot of depth. She feels very real. I think her motivations make sense. But there's this thing that I've noticed that especially like <laughs> happens with male writers where they're like, oh, I'm going to write a woman and she's going to be an authentic woman. And so we're going to talk about woman stuff. And so like they have this gynecologist in there twice in the book and it's like 
as a woman, I can say that like the role of gynecologist in my life, it's not nearly as to this proportion, you know, and it's like, I get that it's kind of in keeping with the sex criminals work It's like, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about sex, and we're going to talk about bodies. But it's like, it just felt really awkward to me. Uh, and the same thing happened in uh, Paper Girls, with the way that they depicted like a character's first period and like mm. how that went down and how people reacted to it and how the girl reacted to it itself. It just felt very unrealistic to me. <laughs> mm. And so it's like, I don't know. You, there are other ways to write women. And it's like the these facets of our biology are not the thing, I guess, is maybe mm. what I want to say. It's just kind of sailing that out there into the consciousness. It's like, I'm glad you're writing more women. Yeah. This is no, this I... is a good thing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for passing the Bechdel test in your work. Congratulations. But it's like, you don't need to have multiple scenes with a gynecologist. And it's like, yeah, he became a character and we got to see his motivation. That was great. I've never had a male gynecologist in my life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a good point. I think that there's a, a line between writing a character who you're not sort of in the same category as them and doing it well versus writing a character who's not in the same category as you and like trying to make sure to include all aspects to just prove that you can do it. Yeah, it missed me. It, it just missed me. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I actually really liked Robert Rainbow's uh, flashback and I really enjoyed, like, I actually enjoyed how Susie, like Susie and John take a break and then for some reason it's time for Susie to go see the gynecologist and then gets attracted to Robert and they go on a date and they run into John and then somehow they kind of reconcile. Like, I liked that. I like the way it took sort of Susie back to John because I do kind of believe in Susie and John, but like, yeah, could could she have met Robert some other way? Did it have to yeah. be this like awkward scene? Especially like, yeah, it got to that weird like you have a perfectly circular cervix. Let's bring in all the interns. And you're like, so weird. why? Why are you doing this? So weird. <laughs> I like, yeah, I I liked Robert Rainbow. I feel like that could have gone. A completely different way where it's like mm. if you had just met someone and it's like oh i'm attracted to you in a coffee shop and it's like oh what are you it's like what do you do for a living it's like actually i'm a, I'm a gynecologist so it's like what really no you it's kind of an anachronism i don't meet many male gynecologists before and then you could go into that story of like why he did that it's like there's that that seems like a perfectly natural thing to me mm. <laughs> i mean because later on uh Susie's roommate whose name I forget right now uh Susie's roommate sorry Rachel Rachel meets Robert and she asks him like oh so you're you're a gynecologist and like why why is that what a strange choice for a man to make and then he has this whole story about well I used to work in oncology and I watched all these people dying of cancer and I decided I not I needed to be at the other end of this equation and I wanted to be there for births. And you're just like, wow, that's a great story. Like, yeah, that aspect I like. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you could have that story with Robert and Susie having a conversation and then forego the whole, like, Susie in the stirrups having a conversation with her gynecologist. For the second time in two books. Right. <laughs> just again, like, the proportion is what bothers me, not the existence of it. Right, right. <laughs> There was, uh, I definitely enjoyed 
some of the ridiculousness of some of the uh, porn parodies, like the Galf, where it's like, <laughs> the Alf nose. <laughs> oh, I liked, uh, there was a Wicked and Divine reference. One of the oh, porns that they were doing was right. Wicked and Divine, and I thought that was that was a clever reference. Yes, that was that was great. That was great. Like, we're yeah, I haven't I haven't read that comic, so I forgot like that that was a comic and not like a movie or something. And then I like later on I was wait that's not a movie that's that's a comic, isn't it? Yeah. Oh so, yeah, that's fun. Those are different. I don't think there's I it's a different writer, right? Than the Wicked and the uh, Divine. Yeah. I, I think so. I can look it up real quick. Yeah, I, for, I forgot who's the team on that, but I figured they must be friends, so... <laughs> I think they are probably Straight friends. Comics um, is a small world. Matt Wilson is the colorist. Sorry, not... Uh, I just jumped to the... Okay, Kieran Gillen, Jamie McKelvey. Okay. It is, it's another image book, though. Right. Okay, so that was probably another big title coming out from Image at the time. It's huge. Like it, So it, it's kind of fun to have a nod to a contemporary work. Yeah, of the same publisher. Like I thought that was <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, no, that was good. I also liked uh, Girls Gone Wild, then Back to Normal, then Wild Again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I must have missed that one. <laughs> I don't know. I was just I I think I spent probably more time reading all the background stuff. <laughs> good. It's good that it's it's a work that lends itself well to a reread. Because I think, like, the first time you read this work, it's all, uh, I wouldn't say shock factor. I feel like you're trying to sate your shock factor, maybe, mm. by reading it the first time, where you're like, mm. sex criminals, and it's a book about sex, and this premise is so wild, and you just kind of, you're reading it kind of quickly. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's, like, a tension of, like, not knowing how far it's going to go. Yeah. And so I like that there's this additional layer of information that does benefit from a reread. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, I, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of good layering in there. It was good. Do we know if this book is still ongoing or is it finished? That's a good question. I was just on Comixology, which again, there are five volumes uh, out and I... Wikipedia says ongoing. Okay. <laughs> the, yeah, the, sixth, okay. the sixth volume is called Six Criminals. That's nice. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, and it just came out November 2020. Oh, yeah, because they have, I think on Comixology here, the latest single issue is like uh, issue number 69. Uh, just stop. Obviously. <laughs> just How stop. do you not just end the series at yeah. 69? Come on. <laughs> yeah, you have to be done by then. You got to commit to the bit. <laughs> now they got to um, go all the way to 420. <laughs> Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, sorry, I'm just clicking on it here. Yes, it ends on issue number 69. Okay, All right, thank God. Good job. There we go. <laughs> it is the finale, so there you go. Nice. But then, <laughs> wow, but then that's like... It's uh, a lot of comics about... Volume, volume 5, I think, only took you to like issues 25 or something. So like, there's so many more trade paperbacks to get to issue 69. No, you know what they did? And I'm glad they did this. It's Sex Criminals issues number 26 through 30 and then number 69. They just jumped to issue number 69. So good. Good. Okay. All right. <laughs> that is the appropriate decision. There we go. Okay. Good um, I do like that the, uh, the premise kind of evolved throughout the story. It didn't stick with just let's stop time and rob banks 
because I think that that was played out like by the end of the first volume. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I'm probably not going to read all the way to issue 69, but if they manage to get through two volumes, maybe they have enough material to get there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I want to see what kind of other crimes they could get into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, um, like we, there, there's like a whole map they have of like uh, other potential characters who can also stop time. Like maybe they're all criminals too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, I was really intrigued in volume two where, because um, it turns out that Anna, aka Jasmine Saint Cocaine, aka Doctor Kincaid, uh, is also has this power, but. When she has an orgasm, she leaves her body and turns into a ghost. And uh, I don't know, I like this sort of idea that not everyone's experience is the same when they go into the quiet. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, like, I don't know, there's potential for this to sort of get a lot more, I don't know, complex and, like, lead to other places. I'd be interested in reading more, but then I'm the one that recommended it, so... (laughs) Yeah, let us know. I mean, I I will say that I think for me, reading this was sort of a little bit cognitive dissonance in that, like, I've read a lot of the spectacular Spider-Man that Chip Zdarsky wrote, and I've read Hawkeye by Matt Fraction. So I'm looking at both of these men as, like, these real sort of, like, linchpin like marvel comic creators who just work in these like disney properties and then looking at this like sex criminals book where they're just like there's no rules there's no one to be accountable to (laughs) (laughs) we don't even have an editor (laughs) (laughs) all right we are almost out of time um do you want to do final thoughts yeah, uh, my final thought on the book is uh, I liked it. I'm glad I read it. I would recommend this book to someone who is interested in comics in particular, wants to keep up with like the scene. And also it's really interesting for like how it's trying to bend things narratively and visually. Uh, so I do recommend it for that. It didn't end up being for me, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good work. I think it was very solid. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would recommend this or who I would recommend it to, but I wouldn't not recommend it, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, I wouldn't warn anyone off of it. Let's say that. Unless they're, like, not old enough to be reading this. <laughs> You're not going to buy this one for your elementary school bookshelf? I am not. <laughs> that would be a very quick way to get fired. <laughs> you- <laughs> You wouldn't take it away from anyone, but you wouldn't line up for it. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, yeah, I would I would recommend it. I've really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to read some more. And uh, I would also say uh, look at more Chip Zdarsky books. Read his Howard the Duck. He's, he, he's a funny guy. <laughs> do we want to do shout-outs? Do we have shout-outs? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Jeff Ellis, and I'm going to shout out another podcast because it connects to Chip Zdarsky. There's a new podcast called Manga Splaining, where they read manga and then talk about what their experience was reading the manga. And the premise is that so it's it's hosted by Chris Butcher and Deb Aoki and um, 
a few other people whose names I forget, but uh, Chip Zdarsky is involved and he's never read manga before. So the purpose is every episode they are getting Chip Zdarsky to respond to manga and they're hoping by the end of it to make him a manga fan. So I would say check it out. Check out Manga Splaining. It's pretty good. I, I'm really interested in that in that comic. Or sorry, in that podcast, because you mentioned it before and it seems like, oh, it's, it seems really fun. They've they've done uh, an episode on Delicious in Dungeon. So. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I shouted this out earlier in the work, so I will just uh, expand on it. Uh, my shout out is going to be for Yes Roya. It's by Spike Trotman and the art is by Emily Denich. And it's available on Iron Circus Comics. So that one is erotica. It's 18 plus. It is not safe for work. But it's a really, really nice graphic novel. It's really well written. uh, And I really enjoyed it. So if this discussion uh, has piqued your interest for what erotic comics can be, uh, check out Yes Roya. I'm going to shout out a TV show because I have not been reading enough comics lately. Um, But I have been watching Timeless, which is a... TV show it's on Netflix about time travel it's it's sometimes it's a little bit of a mixed bag because as soon as you have like an American TV show about American history there's uh things they won't do but they did find a lot of things they would do and they're pretty authentic in terms of like what the actual history is so I'm having a lot of fun watching it Uh, our next book will be the first two volumes of Death Note by Tsugumi Oba and Takeshi Obata. The Trade Waiters are brought to you by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to Sleuth for the music. You can find us at SoundCloud, Tumblr, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening.